Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We have come to the end of an era. The last number one top movie. No, sadly, not the last pre-flight. The number one anime movie of all time, Pace Magazine. We've come to the conclusion of the list. The two-year journey. Yes. Our two-year mission to find 100 episodes with a couple repeats and some holidays and looking forward to it scattered in. Um... Next week, are we going to start next week? Are we going to take some time off and recalibrate? Uh, I think we're doing it next week, right? Find ourselves, yeah. play some golf. Yep. Next week, we're going to start talking about some of our favorite anime series of all time. Not films. Correct. And, uh, that, that'll that take us through another 100 episodes. Or 50. It's 50. Is it only 50? I believe so. Wow. So Shit. You can look forward to that content. Soon. In the, well, next week. But uh, today we're going to wrap up our 100 greatest anime films of all time by talking about the number one greatest anime film of all time, the 1988 classic Akira. There it is. When you all were compiling the list, was there much discussion or dissent? Was Akira, Akira unanimously... Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about um, the impact of a movie being, you know, weighing the impact, not just how well it did and its quality and how well it was considered at the time in terms of critical assessment. Standing the test of time and influencing, changing the game. There's really not a comparable anime film to Akira. It's Akira and then everything else. The impact of the movie was pretty monumental in terms of awakening the Western world in particular to the idea of Japanese animation existing and also that it could be, um, that animation could be serious and not just for kids. kids. Um, and it paved the way for countless anime films to make their way to the West, which in turn paved the way for things like Tsunami. So. Thanks, uh, it's, it's influence is almost when you say incalculable. It's one of those movies. It's like it's kind of hard to. It's like Stagecoach or you know, like Battleship Potemkin. It's one of those movies that's influenced so many other movies that it's like a touchstone for a lot of people. Right. Um, ironically, when we aired this on um, Tsunami three years ago. Uh, maybe more like four. At this yeah. Point. Ironically, when we aired it on Tsunami, a lot of people had not seen it, and I was shocked that a lot of people were like, "Eh, what's the big deal?" Um, which I can't even imagine how 
uh, jaded you'd have to be to look at the quality of animation in this movie, which has almost never been achieved again. Like the, yeah, this movie went crazy over budget. Took years and years and years and years to finish. It had basically every great animator you've ever heard of working on it at some point, uh, and is some of the most gorgeous animation that's ever been put on film. And so, someone reacting to that, like, eh, looks like Attack on Titan, just makes me want to vomit. <laughs> like, I can't imagine being that jaded or uh, stupid. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it did okay when we aired it. It didn't do amazing. I mean, it's a movie from 1988, and yeah. I, I think that it doesn't hold the sway for the younger generation who has grown up. There's a whole generation of kids who have grown up with anime at their fingertips anything they want to watch at any time ever. Right. And I do think that what you lose when you have that access is you lose a little bit of the value of the back catalog because it's just old shit. It's not like, you know, you don't have to hear about it and read about it and have your friends tell you about it and then check it out. It's like, oh, I pulled it up. It's old as shit. Yeah. It. Like, you know, it just doesn't... Five seconds on YouTube and then it's like, nah. Yeah, I think that's what we lose when we have literally everything at our fingertips. Um, Akira, of course, as one of the most popular anime of all time, uh, has never not really been out on video and in video stores because they can always make money off of it. So it's been remastered multiple times for different formats. Um, it's currently available now in a pretty dynamite um, package. Uh, and you can get the manga that it was based on in a totally crazy 35th anniversary, amazing, beautiful set too. So it's one of the few old anime that you can really get as a Westerner easily. Right. Widely supported still. Yeah. Um, it was based on a multi-part manga that the director of the film, Katsuhiro Otomo, uh, wrote and um, created himself that took many years. Uh, his draftsmanship is just bananas. Like so it, Akira was black and white, the, the manga. Um, and I guess he took forever to make it. And when he started the movie, the manga wasn't done, so he didn't really know where it was going to go. Um, so the movie's a little different. The movie really only covers sort of the beginning of the story, uh, much like um, Mon uh, or, um, Nausicaa does. Right. Um, but his draftsmanship is just unreal. Like, as an artist, he is incredible. And really, he's not done anything that's lived up to Akira since, because I think it's one of those things where... It's a little tough. Yeah, um... You know, he's done other... He's been involved in a ton of other stuff and done some amazing work, but I think it's not going to... Akira is what he's going to be remembered for. Right. And that's, I'm sure he's at peace with that, yeah, sitting on his mountain of money. Um, so why don't we take a look at our uh, Toonami promo. Sarah, our editor, cut this, uh, and she and I had the pleasure of working on it, and it was a dream come true for me to be able to work on the anime film that you know started my real whole love of anime um so here is our trailer from like four or five years ago for uh when Toonami aired Akira Boy who was in an accident on an old city highway was brought to the lab. 
seems that he's their new subject for human experimentation. You must take a look at this data. It's phenomenal. Is it safe, Doctor? Uh, what did you people do? The time of atonement is upon us. Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh. She's developed so much power in such a short time, it's unbelievable. Keep away! Is that what Tetsuo's doing? Are you saying he has that kind of energy? The thing about Akira's power is, it exists within everyone from the start. But when that power is awakened inside, it is important to wisely choose how to use it. Your friend has already made his choice. is proud to present one of the greatest animated films of all time. Fully restored. Stop this, Tetsuo! Stop it! The landmark classic, Akira. Next Saturday night at midnight, Neo Tokyo is about to explode. Part of a month of movies. Maybe we weren't meant to meddle with that ultimate power. You mean the power of a god? Only Toonami. Adult Swim. So, um... Pretty great. Yeah. So, uh, when did you first see Akira? I think most people our age saw it on home video. When yeah. It would have been high school. Uh, 89. Yeah. 90. 90 probably. Yeah. I, uh, I think I saw it in 89 when it came to home video. Um, I remember editing one of my very first college courses was um, intro to editing and it was like edit together imagery to that come from different sources to tell a story of a mood or something and I remember using a scene from Akira um, already a nerd even then um, and uh, I, I've seen it on the big screen once because it's one of those movies that sometimes comes around again um, you know it, it's not quite in, in theaters as often as like Miyazaki films are but it, it, you have a chance every couple of years to see it uh, it's been a huge influence on, I mean, it itself was influenced by Blade Runner, of course, and cyberpunk in general. Uh, and then it became a huge influence on the entire cyberpunk genre, but also extending all the way to people like Kanye West, who was obsessed with the movie for a number of years. Um, Daft Punk, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, <laughs> um, so let's look at a scene. This is the bike chase that opens the film. And uh, one of the ways you know a movie is amazing is when they when it has a, a really gripping opening sequence that you sort of can't look away from. And I think Akira's bike chase is probably the most legendary scene from the movie. It's certainly the one that other anime and cartoons have quoted the most in terms of like reflecting images from it. Um, and I think it was really the first way that Otomo was sort of showing off what his crew could do. Um, so let's check out the bike chase from Akira. And the Garota drives on each wheel. Let's see. And these are computer controlled anti lock brakes. Huh. 200 horses at 12,000 RPM. You want to ride it, Tetsuo? All right, let's hit it! I customized that bike for myself. It's too wild. You couldn't handle it. I don't see how you can ride something crazy like that, man. <laughs> I could. <laughs> if you want it so bad, then steal one yourself. 
Unit 375. We've got reports of biker gangs fighting near the intersection of Highway 14 South. Request immediate assistance. Car 375 en route to the scene. Again, request immediate assistance. It's the cops. What should we do? Ah, oh, damn it. My motor crawls were just getting warmed up. So the movie is set in uh, 2019, yeah, set this year. To, uh, yeah, uh, in, in the timeline of the story, there is a nuclear uh, explosion that hits Tokyo in 2016. A limited nuclear, like a limited nuclear exchange with someone. It's never clarified with who. Um, and so this is the ashes of of what was Tokyo. So things are still a bit chaotic. There's like different forces at play. Uh, there are anarchists who kind of want everything to be torn down and rebuilt. And then there are sort of fascistic government soldiers who are trying to keep order at all costs. And in the middle of this is this bike gang in uh, the characters of Tetsuo and uh, Kaneda who basically... Uh, start out as friends, and then they end up getting caught up in a vast government uh, conspiracy, a government program to sort of enhance super soldiers. children, yeah, create super soldiers. And Tetsuo uh, accidentally comes into contact with one of these children, and, and it activates latent uh, telekinetic abilities that he has, and then he starts to become basically a threat to all humankind because he's so powerful and he starts losing his mind so not a good combination um, yeah so it's all these things together um otomo himself of course pretty much uh the things the themes he always returns to are the industrialization and dehumanization of uh japanese society in the context of like just in terms of how modern society and the machines we build end up dehumanizing us day to day and he's always been very anti-war so it's kind of all of those things together um so if you haven't seen it what the hell is your problem get off your ass i don't really think you can call yourself an anime fan if you haven't seen this movie i think you're lack you can call yourself that but you're lacking but you're not you're lacking some key knowledge yeah um, you're, 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 you have a hole in your sort of understanding of what the genre is capable of. Um, the medium, it's not a genre. Um, and that's it for our final number one movie, number one anime film of all time. You can disagree with me, you can have your favorites, but you'd be wrong. Uh, and then uh, that leads us to our question of the week, which was, what's your favorite genre-defining movie? So... For the purposes of this discussion, we were defining this. We were defining genre defining. We're getting deep. As basically the type of movie that where not only is it a critical, you know, success in terms of it's valued critically uh, and considered an, an exemplar of its type. Uh, it also, to be genre defining, it has to set some sort of standard by which it influences other work. So, obviously, a lot of these are going to be classics, if not all of them. Um, and a lot of them will be older because a lot of your genre-defining films are the first of a particular type. Or a reimagining. Yeah. And that's why they become a defining film of a particular genre. So, I'm going to start with the defining film of the giant monster or kaiju genre. And that is King Kong. 
1933 King Kong. Uh, you know, you could also say Godzilla, um, but Godzilla really wouldn't exist without King Kong, and King Kong was sort of the first giant monster movie, uh, certainly the first one that was considered a work of art, and then, you know, was a huge, massive hit, and created a whole genre of tons and tons of just, ah, we got giant monsters, you want giant monsters? And there's a whole genre of that, that still exists today. I mean, uh, Godzilla movies and giant... Never not great. Um, so, uh, but a really good movie, and still the best King Kong movie. It's definitely better than the Peter Jackson one, and I, I have a, f- a fondness for the Faye Dunaway, Jeff Bridges 70s yeah. one, but this one is the only one of the three that's actually a good movie. <laughs> um, so let's check out a, uh, a big scene from this movie where um, King Kong beats the shit out of some dinosaurs. <laughs> me 
battling my demons. Um, Daily. So, yeah, released in the darkest days of the Great Depression, it was prime escapist entertainment um, uh, and really has echoed through the years uh, all the way through to the last Kong movie, Kong Skull Island, which was pretty good. Pretty I mean, fun. that shit's, what, 85 years old? Yep. 80 years old? Um, so, genre-defining film. Uh, and next up, another one of my favorite genre-defining films, and that is uh, 1984. I think it's 84. It might be 82. Uh, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Uh, it was called Mad Max 2, the rest in, around the rest of the world, because it's the sequel to Mad Max, which was filmed a year or two before. <laughs> but that movie didn't make it over to the U.S., um, so they titled it The Road Warrior when it came to the U.S., um, sort of reintroducing it. And they actually, the first Road Warrior prince that made it over here, they overdubbed Mel Gibson's voice because he had an Aussie accent. So I grew up seeing The Road Warrior with this this guy yeah. pretending to be Mel Gibson. Uh, and then once Mel Gibson became a huge movie star, they went back and took that out of it. But that was added for the American producers who were like, you can't, no one will watch this movie. You can't understand the guy's accent, which is hilarious because he has the least thick accent and talks the least of any of the characters in the movie. It's totally stupid. Um, so Road Warrior didn't really define... The action genre, but it definitely defined the post-apocalyptic genre for a long time. I think we've moved into some other areas with it now, but back for a good 15, 20 years, if you were doing a post-apocalyptic movie, it had echoes of The Road Warrior. The idea that things like gas and water are commodities that people are trying to kill each other over. The idea of repurposing vehicles and or equipment to be used uh, after the world has fallen. And certainly the style of the movie using football helmets, bondage gear, a lot of leather. Like that whole thing became there was hundreds of movies in the wake of this movie all around the world that were made that basically it was like we need to look post-apocalyptic. Go to the desert, throw some shit on a car, everybody wear football pads and leather and some spikes, and let's try to kill each other. Um, so, <laughs> in a very real way, it defined the post-apocalyptic genre for a number of years. Um, and because it's also a totally great action movie, one of my favorites. Um, so, this is a, I believe this is a modern sort of trailer. So basically when Mad Max Fury Road came out, um, a lot of YouTubers recut old Mad Max movies in the style of a modern trailer just to sort of get people excited. Um, so this is a trailer for the Road Warrior cut in the style of a modern trailer. And I think they, they did a very good job. So let's check it out.
You want to get out of here? You talk to me. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Uh, understandable if uh, Mel Gibson would turn some people off since he's a known piece of shit. But sure. the movie's terrific. Yes. Worth watching anyway. Um, and finally, uh, a genre. To, this one's a little trickier, but I do think uh, I, could, I would be backed up by um, uh, critically Science. critical and scholarly assessment of the film. And uh, so I'm going to do another genre-defining film, and that is The Searchers, John Ford, and John Wayne's uh, classic Western. Uh, I think that the reason people think of The Searchers as a genre-defining film is that, uh, unlike John Ford's other genre-defining film, Stagecoach, uh, which kind of laid the blueprint for a whole bunch of Westerns afterwards, uh, The Searchers is sort of the end of that journey where... Uh, you're looking at the darker side of the West. You know, uh, Westerns back in the day were frontier stories that were usually about right and wrong, but they didn't really grapple with things like genocide and racism, which are obviously the bedrock of, of how we ended up settling this country. And so this is the first film where John Wayne, who had only played a hero up until this point, uh, plays uh, a racist who is basically embittered because his family's been killed by Indians, uh, Native Americans, but they call them Indians in these movies. Uh, and he, his niece has been kidnapped during a raid, and so he sets out with uh, some of his family members to go get her, but she's been living with the Comanche for so long that she basically is one of them. And so the whole film, you're not sure if he's going to... You don't know if he's going to find her to kill her so that because as far as he's concerned, she's no longer human, or if he's going to rescue her. And that tension and him being an open racist um, was something that no one had ever attempted in a Western before uh, up until this time. And certainly uh, a star of John Wayne's stature that was the defining Western actor. Uh, it was sort of unheard of. So as far as at the time it didn't resonate that much but through the years directors like Lucas and Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola all cite The Searchers as a key example of 
what made them want to make movies. So I think this is sort of like one of those Ramones situations where <laughs> not everyone saw The Searchers, but a whole lot of the people who did became master filmmakers. Um, so let's look at a scene uh, where they sort of show how shocking his racism is, where they find a buried Comanche and John Wayne shoots his eyes out so that he can't see his way to heaven. Another one, huh? Give me a hand, Charlie. Ow. Oh. This has come a long way before he died, Captain. Well, Ethan, there's another one you can score up for your brother. I don't like it. What don't you like? Indians on a raid generally hide their dead. And if they don't care anything about us knowing, it only spells one thing. They ain't afraid of us following or of us catching up with them either. You can back out any time you want, Nesby. Ethan, I didn't say that. Didn't say such. Easy, Nesby, easy. Jorgensen! <laughs> Why don't you finish the job? What good did that do you? By what you preach, none. But what that Comanche believes, ain't got no eyes, he can't enter the spirit land, has to wander forever between the winds. You get it, Reverend. Come on, blanket head. You get it, Reverend. But uh, a great Western um, and one of the first ones that actually deals with what we did there. Yeah, not a fully romanticized yeah. version of it. Uh, well done. Well defined. Thanks, pal. Uh, first for me is uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, some people call it a piece of shit, but I actually like this movie. Um, <laughs> Brave stance. <laughs> uh, People say this is garbage, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for it. I think it was on the Blu-ray, but maybe it was before that. They did a um, documentary where they're interviewing a bunch of directors on how this movie influenced them, and it's Lucas and Spielberg, and it's I think it's standing on the shoulders of Kubrick, which is a weird title, but it's an interesting look at yeah. how... How this influenced um, them. Yeah, and this movie pretty much fully changed uh, the way people look at sci-fi in terms of it being just sort of like outer space monster movie kind of thing to being a more uh, in-depth look. Uh, we can check out the trailer because uh, I don't want to spoil the end of 2001. Oh my god. Um, so what let's... Seen in the ass you are. I was just kidding. He dies. Come on, you're not really kidding. Is he? Is he dead? No. Okay. Check it out. Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on, would you please state in the following order? Your destination, your nationality, and your full name. Moon, American, Floyd, Haywood R. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. I guess, quite frankly, we have had some very reliable intelligence reports that... Quite a serious epidemic has broken out at Clavis. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you regarding the need for complete security. Something apparently of an unknown origin. However, I accept the need for absolute secrecy in this. This is in fact what has happened. I've already discussed this. 
We thought it might be the upper part of some buried structure, so we excavated out on all sides, but unfortunately we didn't find anything else. It hasn't been covered up by natural erosion or other forces. It seems to have been deliberately buried. Four million-year-old black monolith has remained completely inert, except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Three weeks ago, the American spacecraft Discovery One left on its half-billion-mile voyage to Jupiter. The sixth member of the Discovery crew was the HAL 9000 computer. Everything is going extremely well. One gets the sense that he is capable of emotional responses. Well, hell, I'm dead about anything wrong. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. But Dave, I can't put my finger on it, but I sense something strange about it. Just a moment. Just a moment. Do you know what happened? I'm sorry, Dave. I don't have enough information. Made radio contact with him yet. The radio is still dead. Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Missed the date a little bit, but that's uh, <laughs> the, uh, not really. Okay. There's a story about uh, when during the making of this movie, Kubrick went to lunch with Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote the book the movie's based on, and Arthur C. Clarke invited Carl Sagan. And evidently, the whole time Kubrick was super annoyed with Carl Sagan, couldn't wait for him to shut the fuck up and get out of there. <laughs> and he left, and Arthur C. Clarke was like, "Well, isn't Carl amazing?" And Kubrick was like, "That guy sucks," and just. <laughs> That just makes me laugh. The idea of those three dudes together. Antichrist genius. <laughs> this fucking asshole. Um, yeah, pretty good movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, next is Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's 1960. Probably Hitchcock's best movie. Certainly, I think, probably the most well-known uh, of his movies. Definitely his most well-known. Um, I don't know if this is his best, though. And, uh... Vertigo begs to death. I think Vertigo is pretty widely considered his best. Yeah. But this is definitely his most influential. Um, I don't think anyone would argue with that. So this is a tough movie, I think, if you haven't seen, to see today because it is so influential. Like, it just feels... Like that it's like again. for me as a kid, <laughs> I never saw any of the airport movies until I saw all the airplane movies. And I was like <laughs> waiting for the punchline. It just sort of, if you've seen it done a million times, um, but at the time it came out, it had never been done. Um, the fact that Janet Lee was the biggest movie star at the time gets killed pretty early on yeah. in the movie. And totally. it is, and then obviously the shower scene. It's and way darker on. too than most movies and, were then. Yeah. And Anthony Perkins playing, uh, <laughs> Fairly unhinged uh, human being yeah. uh, to a great degree. Bit of a typecast later on, but he said that he would gladly do it again, and I don't blame him. Um, this is a scene uh, where you really start to get the feel for maybe not everything's going to go quite so right. You understand? I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. 
Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. And the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course... I've suggested it myself, but I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Horrifying. <laughs> uh, and then last for me is Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Uh, for the purposes of today's discussion, we'll just keep it as the first movie, The Godfather. <laughs> not The Godfather Saga. No. Um, not the recut movie. Uh, uh, linear cut. Couldn't think of the word I want to say. Uh, so, depending on if you're in the uh, anti Italian Anti Defamation League or not? Uh, this movie. My grandma was. What? Yeah. She hated this movie. Um, this movie was uh, in my family was like you weren't supposed to watch it. Yeah. Um, which made me want to watch it more. Which, yeah. Which because it's awesome. Brilliant. Um, based on the Mario Puzo uh, garbage book. Book that's uh, <laughs> a little bit lesser garbage. Um, so this. What's the? It was. There's so many crazy stories about the making of this movie where they originally it was being protested by the guy who was running one of the anti-defamation Italian leagues, who was himself a mob boss. Who then <laughs> they were trying to shoot in areas that were control, controlled by the Teamsters. So there's it's a lot of gray areas uh, of legality and. Uh, fraught with production uh, yeah. issues, but I think, turns out is a pretty good movie. So this is the opening scene of The Godfather which we have shortened down uh, because it's like eight minutes long, uh, just to sort of give you the feel if you have not seen The Godfather. Why did you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? What do you want me? Tell me anything. What do what I beg you to do? What is that?
what I cannot do. I'll give you anything you ask. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel or for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. But let's be frank, you, you never wanted my friendship. And uh, you were afraid to be in my debt. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. You found paradise in America. Had a good trade, made a good living. Police protected you and there were courts of law. But you didn't need a friend like me. But uh, now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder, money. You ask you for justice. That is not justice, your daughter is still alive. You're gonna suffer then, as she suffers. How much shall I pay you? What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you'd come to me in friendship, then the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they would fear you. Be my friend. Godfather. Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Not bad. Uh, so those are some of our favorite genre-defining films. Let's see what Adult Swim Facebook fans came up with. Lord of the Rings, Blade Runner, Star Wars, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles, and Scream. No, but other, but but three out of five ain't bad. Sure, and I like all those movies. Yeah, those are all great movies. Uh, and then let's see what the Tsunami Facebook picks were. Big money, no whammies. Akira, Blade Runner, Alien, Dark Knight, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think you could make an argument for all of those, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you guys for voting. And uh, next week, we'll be talking about the first of several series. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, let's... We're going to talk keep... about some specifics. Yeah, some sneaks. Some topicals. And yeah, I don't think we already showed everything here, but we'll uh, show it to you again for funsies. Uh, first up is the topical for Dragon Ball Super, which is tomorrow night at 11. 
on the next all-new episode of Dragon Ball Super. Let the tournament of power begin! <laughs> Dragon Ball Super, Saturday at 11. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. Uh, we got the episode in a little too late to have that run before, uh, so actually you might not have seen that prior to today. So That's right. I stand corrected. Uh, next up is Borto, which is tomorrow night at 11.30. On the next all-new episode of Boruto. Isn't that kind of ridiculous we're learning how to walk on water? What's the point of inventing things like boats, then? Boruto, Saturday at 11.30. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. I don't really agree with that logic. But it seems like walking on water would be a good skill to have. Yeah, I would be for it. It's like I could get in a plane and fly, but if someone told me you could fly yeah, yourself. Yeah, I would be like, well, why do we bother? Why bother place? flying? I can just fly a plane. Uh, and then My Hero Academia is tomorrow night at midnight, and here is that spot. On the next all-new episode of My Hero Academia. <laughs> Why, yes, I am. My Hero Academia, Saturday at midnight. I mean, I guess the point is the challenges are supposed to be hard, but it seems incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, and then Megalobox is going to take a one-week hiatus as Sword Art Online premiere will be an hour long. Uh, so this spot is telling you that it will return in two weeks or next week or whenever it is that you're seeing this. But uh, Megalobox normally at... Uh, one uh, will be not on tomorrow. Here we go. On the next all-new episode of Megalobox. All I want to know is if this little gamble of yours is over. Not by a long shot. Megalobox will return in two weeks. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. Why in two weeks? Jesus Christ, it just remember. Uh Because Sword Art Online, one-hour premiere Alicization is tomorrow night at 12.30. Oh, that's fine. And then what normally be Megalobox of One is going to be the second half of the one-hour season. Premiere. Great. So let's check out that spot. What the hell? Where am I? Am I in a game right now? remember being at Aegil's place. Who are you? Ah, oh, come on, Kirito. Don't you recognize me? Then I left with Asuna. Johnny Black! <laughs> you got no sword here! Death gun! Kirito! But I can't remember what happened next. Command! Log out? Log out? What does that mean? Anyone! Abort the time! I think there's something wrong in here! Am I dreaming? Get ready for the one-hour premiere of Sword Art Online, Alicization, Saturday at 12.30, only Toonami on Adult Swim. I'm not going into any VR worlds until I know that shit is going to be locked out. I'm going in and I'm never coming back. Cool. Uh... Ever? Starting? Never. As soon as it's good enough. Cool. Uh, and then next is another One Man's Trash edition uh, that, as of the recording of this show, I don't exactly have it finished, 
And I'm also facing some technical difficulties of actually capturing the footage, but I feel confident in my abilities to rectify both. You of those don't situations. know what the tr- what the trash is going to be. No, no, I know what it is. I just I haven't finished picking it up. What it's is still the goal? Lying. What is the goal? About. So I am replaying Phantom Doctrine. Uh, I played it through as uh, a CIA operative the first time, and now I'm playing it through as a KGB operative right. on the extended version to get the deep cut knowledge. Right. Uh, and so as part of the game, you have uh, what's basically just a corkboard where you're drawing connections between various uh, people, places, and things. And so you're decoding these mysteries. And sometimes uh, they're part of the main story, and sometimes they're just to get more agent identifications or to get some um, body engineering drugs. Sometimes you get some manufacturing blueprints. Sometimes you get uh, the opportunity to have a trade contact to build a different kind of weapon. So normally as you progress through the game, you unlock different slots and you have people that can be able to analyze that who are on your team. I, however, Holy am going fuck. through and individually the most analyzing them ever by myself because why the fuck would you want to do that? that so That is, of all your one man's trashes, you might have hit the most pointless one. I hope so. Let's see if I did it. Welcome to another One Man's Trash, where today I'm going to be slogging through Phantom Doctrine. I first saw this game when we were doing Game Hunters and Jason was playing it, and I really loved XCOM, and this is pretty much a Cold War ripoff of XCOM. I'm actually on my second playthrough. Uh, You can pick CIA, Mossad, or KGB, and this time I'm playing the KGB. Your second time through, they have an extended story mode or something, but I don't really care about the story. What I care about is collecting things. Uh, I like going up to the agents, sneaking up on them sometimes and sometimes not sneaking up, smacking them over the head, uh, carrying them back to my facility and flipping over my side. The other thing I like doing is collecting all the goodies, all the loot and all the secret documents. So today's one man's trash is going to be kind of combining both of those things. It's basically doing all the paperwork. Uh, You have this corkboard where you sometimes have to do it for a story mission and sometimes do it just to get more goodies. Uh, But you're making connections between people and places and you're drawing these little digital yarn strings between them. And it's super tedious and super boring and that's why we're here. They do give you the option to assign some of your agents to this test because after you do it, the first first time is pretty fun Uh, and it's interesting to read the things. After you've done it about 20 or 30 times, it is super boring. Um, But I have decided to go after the trophy that means that you don't trust anyone at all and that you're going to get all of these secret documents unveiled yourself, which means you have to go through, find out all the little decoded messages, and then make these connections. Eventually it turns into sort of a perpetual motion machine because you're decoding these secret messages to then open up more secrets to go on more missions to find more secret documents. And there's really no reason to be doing, really, obviously, any of this. But later on in the game, you're pretty overpowered. You don't need to get all of the goodies, but because I'm crazy, I'm still doing it. And doing it this way legitimately sucks. Uh, This actually, you can feel your eyes getting tired staring at all these things. Uh, The space they give you really isn't big enough for all of the documents. They put them in weird places, so you're constantly having to look for things and move them around, and it just generally is a super drag. They also use the same weird little words over and over again, so you're constantly remembering the last puzzle and wondering if it's this one and seeing if you saw Lizardmen earlier and which one it was, Uh, but odds are you're misremembering. Uh, So you pretty much just need to follow each trail and actually run it down like you're actually decoding all these things. Because you are. 
The other pointless thing in doing this is that they're constantly giving you new agents that you can recruit, but because you're a little obsessive, you've been Mason gambiting all of the agency collected, and you're kind of gaming the system, so you really have way more agents than you're allowed to actually have, so you can't run down any of these new leads, uh, so you're wasting even more of your time. We've been barking up the wrong tree all along. So instead, we're just trying to see the bigger picture. Again, and again, and again. And eventually, you did it. You run down all of the secrets, you've decoded all of the messages by yourself for some unknown reason, and the trophy pops. Uh, and you're left with the satisfaction of a job completed. If you've got something fun or dumb for me to do in a video game, hit me up at StupidGill and let me know. I have faith. Well done, me. Once again. I have faith. Gil can suck the joy out of literally any experience. It's true. So I, I'm certain that he... This last this hour is testament to that yeah. alone. Um, well, congrats. Thank you. Once again, Thank snatching you. defeat from the jaws of victory. Certainly. Uh, and then finally, this week's Adult Swim single uh, is from the New York punk band Haram. Uh, they are a group of uh, Lebanese Americans who sing in Arabic uh, in punk band and uh, they had an EP last year that was incredible so I'm really happy that we got them um, since they're pretty pro-revolutionary I'm happy that they decided to work with us and release this week's single which is The Solution is Resistance um, so this is single number 24 of this year's Adult Swim uh, singles program let's check this track out kick ass. I wish, uh, I would love to see them live. I hope they leave New York at some point and come down to Atlanta. Um, you can hear that track and the other 23 tracks we've released so far at adultswim.com slash singles and come back next week where we'll release a new song. But in the meantime, go listen to Haram some more. And that's it. Thank you for watching all 100 of our weeks we of it. anime 100, movies. 100. We look forward to almost. Oh, now I want to try. Here, I'll try. give you one more shot. Yeah. Should we do it together? I guess not. No, we don't do it. Are we trying to hit the camera? I was trying to hit the camera. Okay. (laughs) Did you hear it? I hit it. Dead on? You didn't hit it. Nailed it. Nah, you didn't hit it. But if they watch the replay, they won't see you hitting it, so you didn't hit it. Yeah. It hit. So, no, it didn't. You guys will never know because you weren't there, but you can see when you watch it, just go through it, step through it, it'll show that he didn't hit it. Cool. Because he didn't hit the lens. Bye. Bye-bye. Toonami, now every Saturday night from 9 to 4.